0: But I looked around and I was just like, I, I don't. Maybe I got this wrong. Like, I this doesn't this doesn't feel like what I was looking for. I don't know. I, I don't know <laughs> about this. And on the way back through, I spent a week in Paris and was like, Oh my gosh, this is it. This is what I've always wanted. Like, where, where have I? What have I been doing with my life? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be. But yeah, I don't know. I think people, you know, it might be partially that the grass is green on the other side. Maybe mm-hmm. they're just looking for an adventure. And you know, we've never. It's never been as as easy you know, with with planes and the resources that we have now, the ability to work remotely, to just take your laptop and go, you know, set up shop wherever you want. I don't know. There's, I, I'm sure there's a, a ton of different reasons. I, I think, well, I mean, I've lived in a few different places and I think that most of it is actually sparked by desperation. Um, you know, maybe not desperation, but... Uh, um, <laughs> I think the whole idea of like the story of how I got to Paris is kind of driven by this desire to be here more than anywhere, but also ending up in, you know, parts of the world that I really didn't want to be in. So I, you know, I kind of rubber banded between maybe some neutral ground in the middle, but then ending up in places I really didn't want to be. And that, I think that really fed the fire to be like, I got to figure this out. Like, I, I know where I want to be. I know exactly where I want to be. How do I get there?
1: Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice and so much more. Right now I'm taking the podcast on the road travelling with me so tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel then this is the podcast for you designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. Another fantastic chat coming your way. Been a busy week since the last time we spoke. I have been doing a few things with my podcast business. So update in terms of travel, not a lot. Stuck in Vancouver at the minute, North Vancouver. I'm trying to find some temp work and work on my side business of podcast editing and management. You'll see in the show notes, there are some affiliate links for travel. These will really help you out. If you want to book anything from flights, to accommodation, to car hires, to travel insurance, to Eastern cards, whatever's on there. If you click the link, book it, I do get a little commission, so that helps the podcast going forward. And I've also been put to post out onto LinkedIn, social media, or any of those like services that you may need if you're listening. If you want to start a podcast, or if you have a podcast, you can definitely help out with podcast editing, audio editing, video editing, podcast management, guests research stuff like that so that is now all available so I'm pushing that out into social medias this week and last week and then finally I went to a podcast meetup in Vancouver and I met Helen Saltzman who does the Illusionist podcast she's one of the originals of podcasting back in 2007 with her original show and it was great to meet some fellow podcasters get to hear some ideas some contacts different types of genres and it was really beneficial going forward so that was really nice to meet up have a drink, and have a chat, and meet some new people. That's today's update. Let's get stuck in to this week's guest episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Jay Swanson, who is a video creator, YouTuber, and a writer based in Paris. Today we're going to talk about Jay's previous travels, why he moved to Paris, what it's like being an American in Paris, and his YouTube show. Jay, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here, James. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. An obvious question to start off, an easy one. Where are you based right now?
0: Well, I'm in Paris, just like the intro says.
1: Yeah, okay. And yeah. which part of Paris are you in?
0: Uh, I'm in the western part of Paris. So I, if, you're, if your listeners are familiar with the arrondissements, I, I live in the 16th. But if they're not, um, yeah, just look at Paris on a map, follow the river, and then go west of that. Okay, cool.
1: I think we stayed in the sort of Bercy area when we are there in February. Yeah, the Bercio, so the opposite, opposite, yeah. total opposite side, yeah. But there, yeah. there's some fun stuff over there, too. Yeah, the, the walk along the
0: Seine is pretty special. Yeah, it's amazing. You've got a lot of boats on the river over there, too, which are really fun, like some party boats, and there's actually, like, a lighthouse boat over there. Oh. Okay. Yeah,
1: that one's interesting. That one's really interesting. It sounds interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're going to go into Paris a bit a bit more later. Um, yeah, which is good, because if we keep talking about lighthouse boats, we're going to start asking questions like, does it warn that? the earth is yeah yeah the
0: cliffs that the yeah. boat is coming like what is, is it, the it light like just
1: going constantly around when it's in the daytime or even night times yeah. that confuse drivers i don't know
0: is there just one guy living on it all the time yeah, yeah
1: very yeah. lots of questions okay um as people can tell you're american so whereabouts did you grow up
0: i grew up in washington state so when i actually when i living in france i never say that because i know you know where that is because you've traveled mm-hmm. uh, quite extensively but most uh most of French, contemporaries, and even actually Americans, especially East Coasters. If I say Washington, everybody immediately assumes D.C., even if I say state. So I tend to say Seattle, even though that's a lie. I'm not from Seattle, but you can't even say Seattle. In French, you have to say Seattle. Oh, God. Because if you just say uh, Seattle, they're like Seattle? 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 (laughs) Ah, Seattle! Ah, Seattle!
1: (laughs) And then, you know, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, We like the end. Yeah, and then it goes from there. Uh, I think it's it's confusing for you guys because Washington D.C. does take the oh dude the, the founders everything.
0: of my state were not experts in branding they no. were <laughs> they if, our state flag is is just looks like a dollar bill with a yellow stripe on it and uh, and then from there yeah nobody knows the difference it's kind of like Portland Maine was first but nobody uh, knows Portland Maine exists it's, uh, yeah the inverse we didn't we were not quite. We're not quite uh, popular enough to unseat the first
1: president of the United States. So <laughs> yeah, we're working yeah, on it. But. <laughs> I may ask this, for well, the American listeners could they have quite a lot, what about some Washington State? Uh, Pullman, Washington, to get specific. So eastern Washington, not far, f- very close to Idaho. Very close okay, to Idaho. that's sort of like eastern side. Yeah, we came in from yeah. that side into Oregon. Yeah. And one of the, the things that surprises the most, that or- Oregon people's minds, yeah, the coastal road, Cannon Beach, yeah, we get that, and Oz, it's there. If you go right to the other side of the state, coming in from the central bit, it's like desert. It yeah, was like yeah. miles and miles of nothingness and yeah. quirky towns, I'd say. <laughs> quirky is a very nice way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're very
0: political. Uh, good to know. Uh, no, but the, yeah, I mean, it's that thing like Oregon, same thing. Oregon has some really beautiful territory kind of all the way east, and the gorge is beautiful. There's a lot of really nice things to say about Oregon, and Washington is kind of similar in that. You would say that Washington State is, is a continent in a, in a state because we actually have everything from high desert, like you experienced, yeah. to uh, rainforest out on the mm. peninsula. So there's yeah. a rainforest, there's like multiple mountain ranges, you can go skiing, um, and then you have volcanic formations. And where I grew up is called the Palouse, which is a very unique formation that is like this ripply, um, it's a very beautiful rolling hill that you can actually only find in France as well. It's, it's part, it's, oh, wow. uh, pair is here in France. And I've, not that that's where the name comes from necessarily, but it is a French word. The Palouse, mm. Palouse
1: is uh, like the lawn. So there you go. Oh, great fact. And the best thing about Washington State is a bit like Oregon, you do have lots of stuff to see, different stuff. So we, yeah. we came in from the, the west side to the Olympia National Park, Port Townsend mm. and stuff like that. You get a little ferry across. And it's all very nice. And sort of like the islands to the left, like you say, you can go desert to the east. And you've got the mountains in and you know, Mount Baker and stuff like that, right? Uh, sort of protruding yeah. in the middle. So well, it's, it's an real they, state.
0: That's the thing. It's like Oregon. I think Oregon's coastline is kind of the most majestic uh, of the coastlines and then on the West Coast, at least. And then, yeah, Washington, it's just funny because if you go from Seattle, if you take a ferry, you can be so far from civilization so quickly. So if you're an outdoor, if you're an outdoors person, um, which your listeners can't see the outdoorsy background you have behind you on this call, but uh, I take it you might be. <laughs> uh, it's a, the, some amazing forests and, um ton, I mean, yeah, the wilderness that you can find in Washington State is amazing. Yeah. And it's very much a bit
1: like BC and Vancouver, very similar. Yeah. Land.
0: Yeah. Well, and then you get up to the inlets of BC. I mean, BC also has, speaking of coastline, my goodness, like it's incredible. Mm. So you just have to have a boat to see a lot of it.
2: Yeah.
1: A boat is key to what I've learned this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So obviously, you're based in Paris, you're from America. So I want to first kick off with a question about how did, travel come into your life maybe early doors was there some trips uh, was there maybe one trip you done yourself in adulthood like was there anything that sparked the uh, wanderlust yeah i don't know i i
0: never got to travel when i was a kid and yet i always had the wanderlust i really wanted to get out and see the world and there's so many different i think it was like a lot of books just seeing posters i have no idea what what planted the seed but i i had both a desire to travel And very much a desire to live in France for some reason. No idea why. But we didn't travel. My family, whether we couldn't afford to or whatever was going on there, like we we barely left the state. And so to me, I think a lot of it might have been just that buildup of pressure of having that desire and wanting to get out. And so the first time I ever left the United States, beyond a trip to Canada when I was like eight, I think we went to Vancouver once. Mm -hmm. Um, But aside from that, I made it to Italy towards the end of college and really enjoyed it knew it was the right direction but my heart was always in paris i just didn't know it yet because like i got to france right after i came and studied uh taught english if your listeners are interested in kind of figuring out how to get their foot in the door for a visa coming to france especially when you're younger um right out of college in particular they have a program called an english assistantship where you can be an english like a very low level english teacher for like 10 hours a week they don't pay you very well at all but it gets you here and. I did that and I went to Nice because I was like, oh, well, it's in France. And, you know, I had some loose connections there and it was good for my French. But I looked around and I was just like, I, I don't maybe I got this wrong. Like, I, this doesn't this doesn't feel like what I was looking for. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know about this. And on the way back through, I spent a week in Paris and was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is what I've always wanted. Like, where where have I what have I been doing with my life? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be. Um,
1: and so just kind of made it my mission to come back. Okay. I've got a question for you, a random one. So being sure from the UK, I lived in London for four years at, at college, university. I don't like it, but I love Paris. Would you find that a bit weird or can you see why someone would love Paris and not like London or vice versa? Yeah, hundred
2: percent.
0: Yeah. I think for me, I've been spending more time in London recently and it, to me, London and Paris are great compliments because they're so different. So right. it's not difficult for me to imagine that like, London is huge in the same way that like Manhattan is huge. You don't Mm. have the same you don't have the same, uh, obviously, vertical like sense of being completely hemmed in by skyscrapers. But there's a sense of being very small. Yeah, like crowds, you have to go so far to get anywhere. Um, London is very overwhelming in that way, I think, especially Mm -hmm. for new people. But even if you like you lived there for four years, I think there's something smaller and quaint about Paris, where you get a lot of the beauty. You still have access to everything you would want, um, but like it feels much more walkable. Uh, it feels much more accessible. Um, and yeah, I can definitely see how like you might prefer one or the other. Uh, that's that makes total sense to me.
1: Yeah, I think that it's that community feel. I think you're you're right there with about Paris. I can live in one of those districts. I think and just just stay there. I don't I don't I don't need to go out to have ones. I can occasionally go out, but I'd love to live in one of those. Get to yeah. know it go and do local coffee shops. And I find Paris just a little bit more doable on a budget. Maybe that's because yeah. I'm a budget traveler from the past, really. But you can go and get like an espresso and a baguette or a croissant for like two or three, four euros, like a local place in pretty much central Paris if you don't yeah, go to tourist can. areas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't go to – I, I tend to warn people away from uh, anywhere that's on a corner with a red awning. It's yes. uh yes. it's like the honey trap. It's it's how you know it's how flowers get bees to come in and it's the same same for tourists. But like at the same time, yeah, Paris can be very doable. I think I, I have found on my trips up once you leave that super budget though, because I don't know, I have traveled. I when I was in London in 2012, I was very much on a budget. So I don't yep. but I don't remember um, what that was like. But now that I'm fortunate enough to be at a place where I'm kind of like eating I'll eat street food and coffee shops and you know, kind of mid-budget stuff. I found that they're very comparable. I don't think that, like especially currently, how weak the pound is helps a lot. Um, like yeah. <laughs> going and traveling up there, it's it's pretty crazy how London feels much more accessible than it used to. So I don't know if that's because of the currency or what, But, like, yeah, just spending a week up there eating out, it didn't feel like I was spending more than I would in Paris. So, mm. but yeah, I think I think it just kind of depends because i I think rent is probably higher in London um but again like you get so, you, it
1: feels like you get so much more space like the population density is so much lower in london it just depends on where you end up living. yeah and this all goes down to what you think in terms of how you want to live your life because i find the french people and the french way of doing things they do look after you people uh, an example would be for you if you like is obviously in canada we've got a french park french canadian park yeah. now rent in canada outside of quebec is extortionate i'm talking that out of control but they have proper rent control and Quebec and it's like yep. very very reasonable and France the country when, you, when we look over from the UK they do they protest all the time they want work, workers rights they want to look after people and I think it just feels like you could probably get along better there and they've got your sort of rights at heart if you like
2: yeah I think I think collectively
0: that's true I think that individually I it's funny because I've had kind of the opposite observation that I think that's true collectively like they do go out they're going to protest they're going to there's a, a level of like um broader solidarity but individually like they're much less likely to kind of step up for you in a way where i think like i had an experience at least when i was coming from i think it was when i was coming in to manchester from the airport and there was a woman that left her luggage at the airport and realized it 20 minutes into the train ride you know Mm. like we were getting very close to the first stop and she started to stress out and was very very um upset and what was remarkable to me about it was that ev- everyone on the train near her like reached out and was kind of saying kind words trying to comfort her give her ideas of how she could solve the problem like hey like here's the number i found it give them a call whatever and in paris no one would do that like in paris like you 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 would have to be bleeding from at least two separate limbs before anybody's going to even you know most of the time they're just going to look at you like oh, okay and move away from you and so that's not 100% <laughs> true obviously but i feel like i feel like the french they put so much faith in the state that they're going to protest very hard to get the state to align with their needs. And once that's done, there's not really the same sense of charity that exists in an Anglo culture. So that's definitely a big, uh, that's a big thing that I've noticed where I definitely feel like uh, going back to the States to me sounds terrifying because I recognize that there's no safety net. Um, And, you know, so there's kind of those two extremes where everybody's much nicer and customer service is so much better in general in the States. And yet, Uh, if I get cancer, I won't go bankrupt if I'm in France. So, you know, you pick pick whatever you prefer. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I would say in the UK, we'll say that people from the north are nicer. Uh, That is the uh, reputation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm not surprised in Manchester that helped. But uh, in London, I think we like Paris. I don't give a shit.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. It wasn't exactly a (laughs) one-to-one. Manchester was great, by the way. I would love to go back to Manchester. It seemed amazing.
1: Yeah, Manchester is up and coming, I think. Uh, it's always been there. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I think a lot of investment's going in now. And I think they're gonna I think they're gonna pull a lot of people up there. And it's gonna get more expensive. So if you want to yeah. go to Manchester, go now. Get yeah, get up there now.
0: Yeah, the, the locals that I met and I stayed with a couple guys. They they were very both it was cool. They're really proud of Manchester, but also had a really great case to make for it being the place to be. And it's like, yeah, it was really cool.
1: Yeah, a lot of history. And I just think the people just got a bit of a sense of humor and quite nice yeah agreed <laughs> okay, so you went to Europe, uh, sort of college era of your life, so would well, yeah. that really maybe spark some other travels that you've been to, like other than paris and and maybe Italy? yeah, I think well, I mean, I've lived in a few different places, and I think that most
0: of it is actually sparked by uh desperation, um you know, maybe not desperation, but uh, um <laughs> I think you know that's uh. The whole idea of like the story of how I got to Paris is kind of driven by this desire to be here more than anywhere, but also ending up in, you know, parts of the world that I really didn't want to be. in. So I, you know, I kind of rubber banded between maybe some neutral ground in the middle, but then ending up in places I really didn't want to be. And that I think that really fed the fire to be like, I got to figure this out. Like, I I know where I want to be. I know exactly where I want to be. How do I get there? so, yeah, I mean, there's there definitely I, I again, I think the spark came from early. And then I think after that, it was that very much that hunger. When I moved back after college from Nice, uh, the recession hit shortly after and, yeah. you know, opportunity dried up the job that I had lined up vanished. And then I was working temp jobs and I was just struggling to make ends meet. And so when I ended up volunteering on a hospital ship in West Africa, which is just about as random as it sounds. I did so largely because I was like, well, I want to use my French. I'd love to have an adventure. I feel like there's no other way I'm going to get to sub-Saharan Africa. And, you know, I just, I'd always, I always had that belief in volunteering and and giving at least a part of your life away. And so I did. But, um, you know, I wouldn't say that that was because of like a a very direct desire to go straight there. I think every road was an attempt to get back to Paris. And I just kind of kept running into... Either roadblocks or massive setbacks along the way. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's quite different from like the travel bug, if you like. So your your thinking is, I need to live there. I need to move yeah. there, and whatever means, wherever that is, gets to that road at the end. I need to go and do that road. Pretty yeah,
0: much. Which, which is, I was going to make some jokes about like starting drug cartels and stuff to get there, but you know, I don't need, <laughs> don't need that kind of heat. But I think it's that thing of like that. That's um, you know, the book I did write a book about getting to Paris uh, called Sea of the Unknown, and it is um which your readers can listen to if they, or, or read if they want but i think it, it details like that i tried to really capture that struggle of like knowing you have dreams and wanting to attain something that you really just don't know how to get to and throwing yourself at it anyways mm. and uh, so i think that 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 ultimately was it was just kind of a, a persistence like when i look back i'm very fortunate to have gotten the visa that i got to have survived uh, some of the stuff i did and so yeah, for me, it wasn't the traveler mindset in that sense of like, oh, I want to go see the world, which I did. I definitely have that. And I'm very grateful to have seen as much of the world as I have. But like the drive, the central drive is like, no, I, I
1: just belong in Paris. And that's what got me here. Interesting. What do you find or make of the way that what I see a lot, in my, I don't know, 10 years since I started traveling really, is that so many Europeans, uh, which, which could be like Germans, English, a little bit of French, not too much French, some Spanish, definitely Italians. They love moving to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, US, maybe a little bit less because it's harder to get here uh, there. But then vice versa, you guys, you want to go to Europe. Like, Why do you think there's such a crossover in, our, in the same generation of people that want to experience different things? Because I, from my perspective, I'm fed up with old stuff. I want things to be new, done properly. So I'm like, right, I'm going to Australia. I'm going to New Zealand. I want to check out Canada and see what it's like. But I do yearn a little bit to go back to Europe. But a lot of people do settle in the new, newer countries. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know. The, I think
0: that's a great question. I'm curious for you. That's great. Like, what you I understand that you're craving the new because I think a lot of Americans are craving the old. Like, they want to yeah. see a building that's older than our country. You know, they yeah. They want to. They want They want to see things that feel more substantial and weren't made with corrugated steel and cinder blocks. <laughs> you know. Um, so I I think that there's a craving for history and for like art that's ingrained into the actual like city streets themselves. Um and I think there's a mystery. I think it depends on where you come from and why like they talk about the about France cuz Paris has a particular pull for a lot of Americans and somebody said once there was part of the mystery that exists for the French is that there was never a major wave of immigration into the United States from France. Okay. And as a result it's maintained a little bit of a distance and a mystery because we don't have as much of it as much access to it so i think that there's that for us as well but yeah i don't know i think people you know it might be partially that the grass is green on the other side maybe they're Mm. just looking for an adventure and you know we've never it's never been as as easy you know with with planes and the resources that we have now the ability to work remotely to just take your laptop and go you know set up shop wherever you want I don't know. There's, I'm sure, there's a, a ton of different reasons. I would see the most of the people that I see doing it did it in a much more easy and sensible way than I did it. So I'm <laughs> definitely yeah. envious, and uh, I have a lot to
1: learn. Yeah, I think from a personal point of view, uh, I think a lot of Europeans have this class system based, right? Which yeah, does, it, it really is underestimated how societies run, especially in the UK. I think people want to escape that, but I, I mm-hmm. imagine if you like went back four or five generations, and you know all those like colonizers or whatever you want to call them just making the trek by sea it takes months just to start a new life yet their descendants like three or four generations down like nah i want to leave go back it must be yeah. it must be devastating for them if they were to come back <laughs> they're watching from heaven and or hell yeah and like, why <laughs> yeah um, what are you doing yeah
0: yeah, yeah. no i think I, I joke about that all the time it does feel kind of like uh returning to the to the the home ship you know the mothership in a way mm. um but it's funny because I, you know, I think about this, like I've, I've applied for French citizenship. I've been here long enough. I pay my taxes. I have done nothing illegal, at least besides getting a ticket on my bike once. Um, and so, you know, I definitely I feel at home here. I'm very Parisian in a lot of ways now after spending so much time here. But I do recognize, you know, we were talking about before we started recording, we we're talking about my friend Paul, who does comedy in hmm. French and English, and he sounds perfectly French. Um, when he speaks French and it causes all kinds of really funny problems for him because people think he, he still makes the same grammatical mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, but it just sounds like he's an idiot and um, to the French to the French ear. Whereas for me, like when I speak, I I clearly I don't sound American, but I don't sound French. So people know and there's like, oh, that's cute. Like, that was a nice try. Um, and at the same time, I know that I'll never. Feel like fully French just mm. like he 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 doesn't and part of that to go back to your comment on classism i mean that that does come back to the french language the french language you know despite the republicanism and so forth the french language has been constructed to maintain the class system oh, the exceptions in the language the way that you speak it the way that you write it especially mm. um are all indicators of your level of education and that's how they huh. can Assess you within a few sentences and know. Oh, all right, I I see where you're coming from. In the UK, it's a lot of its accent, right? A lot of yeah. its uh, the way you present yourself. But with the French, like it doesn't really matter. Like in the same way with the way that they. I mean, I'm sure it does to some degree. If you roll up in a Rolls Royce, I guess they're going to know something about you. But if you step <laughs> out of that Rolls Royce and you make some silly mistakes, they're going to be like, "Oh, new money," you know? Like they're going to see yes. right through it. Um, so that that class system is definitely very. It's it feels less apparent, I think, to the outsider. But when you live here and you see it, like I have the good fortune of, of being an outsider and thus being granted some good grace for that because mm-hmm. I'm an American and they're like, oh, you're, you're a curiosity. But I think that there's, I, I can see what you mean there too. Like when you come into it here and you're like, okay, like I, I found my friends and I feel at home here, but there are elements of it that will always make me feel a little bit like an outsider. And I think if I was raised with that, if I was raised in a system where I knew that I would always be marked, um, as not being a member of a particular case, yeah, I would itch to leave that too.
1: So I, I get that. That's tough, isn't it? I, I'm always fascinated by the French and the French-Canadian relationship. Yeah, I've got uh, a friend who lives in Quebec and yeah. he is Anglophone, but he's learned French. He's now fluent in French, but he learns it in Quebec. And his wife is Quebecois, if you like. And they're saying when they go to Paris, they don't understand her, but they understand him. <laughs> yeah. and i and i said to her like what what is the go with this like relationship between french people and french um quebecans if you like and it's a fascinating relationship because they kind of look down on french quebecans as like you don't speak our language correctly it's like a it bastardized version and true. i can't grasp the fact that they don't understand her i'm like but well, if american comes to the uk we we understand them like it's hard to grasp yeah
0: but the thing is that the Quebecois, so the, the, it, this, is a, this is a very tender issue. So to okay. any Quebecois who are listening <laughs> to me right now, any Canadians at all, I realize I'm an American uh, living in Paris. So I'm aware of that. Please forgive <laughs> me for any missteps here. But the difference is that the Quebecois, like they, they maintained an older form of French for mm. a very long time. So a lot of the vocabulary and expressions that they have, you know, like things like that, which I just said pretty badly, but hopefully offended somebody. <laughs> um, the like they they have a lot of expressions and ways of saying things that it would be the way that it's been said very often, and this isn't exactly accurate, but it would be like if you came to Canada or America, you came to North America speaking Shakespearean English, mm. people get lost pretty fast. Like, they'd be like, I'm just what, why, what we don't speak like this anymore, you know? Yeah, fair. and so there's like this old, like, settler trapper language that's still there that's very cool like they they maintain something very special in that but the funny thing is that then that creates a very cultural clash and I think it's also unfortunately back to what we we're talking about with the classism the French mm. find it very quick and easy to be a little bit dismissive because like ah better than you yeah and that does cause us a lot of problems I have Quebecois friends here um, this is why I'm very aware of how sensitive this topic can be who do struggle with that a lot because they it's the language they grew up with they grew up speaking yeah. French yeah yeah and they move over here and then every day is, is filled with frustration because they struggle to be understood and they have to adapt to something that they thought they were already on the inside of. And I, th- I think that can actually be really hurtful
2: for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how many people you know from Quebec in Paris, but I get the impression they just don't move between each other's places either. So I, we, we met a um, random person at a cafe in Tofino, which is far west you can get in, in Canada. And she's from Mon- Montreal. And I said to her, like, "Yeah, know, why don't you go like, go live in France? But you can speak the language. And I go and a culture. She's like, no, 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 no. She said, like, we are taught very much. You don't need to leave. You need to stay here. That's why we're here. Even France. I'm like, oh, but, you know, same language. No, don't need to go. Like, there's kind of taught. You don't need to be anywhere else. This is the place to be. So I found it very interesting that she said that it would be hard for her to go to Paris or somewhere to speak because they just won't understand her or like to understand her. It's a
0: thing where, I mean, even, I don't know if you know the band Justice, um, but I remember they they did an amazing documentary uh, that was just following them on their tour. And mm. I, as I recall, there was no commentary. There was nothing. It was like this just almost found footage documentary. And there was this shot where they were in Quebec. Um, I don't know where that probably Montreal or something, but they were they were being interviewed before a concert and they literally couldn't understand half of what they were being asked. and. They treated it like a joke, like they were mm, like, this mm. is pretty funny, yeah. but you recognize that there's, there's definitely a big difference there, which is unfortunate because like, obviously all the Quebecois that I know are, are amazing. Like, They're such yeah. wonderful people, um, very passionate, very like, very proud of their culture. And I think that there's, there's so much to be gained from them. Um, it is, it is unfortunate, but that I, it happens across borders all the time. I mean, obviously there's still that tension between the U S and Canada a little bit. There's that tension between, uh, New Zealand and Australia. Between France Mm -hmm. and Belgium, you know, like between all these countries, where you have kind of a bigger, more established culture, and then a smaller one that may speak the same language, maybe adjacent, but is distinctly different and feels feels that contrast. Um, So, yeah, it's unfortunate. I wish I wish we could just do away with that.
1: That'd be really, yeah, yeah, that'd be really nice, right? Yeah. Okay. And before we crack on with Paris, can I just ask any external countries, not Paris, not USA, uh, maybe exclude Canada a bit as well? where you travel to that you actually love visiting uh, yeah as, a, as a, just a pure traveler
0: I think uh I always talk about how like how much I really enjoyed my time in South Africa, um and would always love to go back there. I just came back from uh Freetown, which was quite the experience um to go i, I there's was my first country in West Africa I lived in, and I was really, really keen to go back. Mm-hmm. um But then, yeah, I mean, the Netherlands are also also really nice just from a cultural standpoint. like it's always really nice
2: to. To go be surrounded by Dutchies,
1: yeah, Holland. I regard them as probably, arguably, or controversially, the most progressive country in Europe. They're think, up there. Uh, they're up there with some of the Scandinavian countries, I reckon. But yeah, I think they're just a the country that does things right. I think that the the fun thing about the
0: Dutch, this is my assessment of them. And so, when I first really experienced the Dutch, like in close quarters, was when I lived with a bunch of them on that hospital ship that I volunteered yeah. on. And I just remember being so off put at first because just things like, you know, that shirt doesn't look very good on you. You know, comments like that were yeah, like, Yeah, what the, like where why? Where did this come <laughs> from? Like, what did I do to deserve this? I don't even know you. Um, and so at first I was kind of off put by that. But then I came to realize like that, there's a beauty in the honesty, and they speak their mind and they they weren't doing it to hurt me. They were doing it to just let me know, like you you know you're making a mistake, right? And there's something that's really appealing in that. And I in my you know, the years of getting to know um, Dutch people better over time, there's just a, they're, they're kind of bred with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's very much, they're they're raised to be emotionally healthy in a way that I think is what drives that progressivism. Where, like, I was raised to either, like, be angry or hungry or not express any emotion, you know. <laughs> they were raised to very clearly articulate exactly how they're feeling. So, like, I'm now getting to the point where, like, probably a Dutch nine-year-old is at an emotional <laughs> intelligence, field. like, yeah. after years of therapy and really working on myself. So, there's an element of like, wow, I really appreciate the Dutch. Like, they they're doing they're do- they're not doing everything right. They've got oh. some problems. Yeah, and so much of their country is below sea level, which just comes with so many
1: issues. But aside from that, you know, phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, and also, I think they're the, they're the closest to us in language, right? I believe. Uh, I think the Dutch language is very yeah. close to English. Uh, I would that's not the be, closest yeah. one. Is it really? In Europe, yeah. So I think, well, I guess worldwide, if you, if you do it from that standpoint. So I think they are very much like us. And from where I'm from, in Norwich, near Cambridge, that eastern part yeah. is very close to Amsterdam's 30 minutes flight. So I kind of feel like we have a bit of affinity, because just across the water is Holland, and yeah. you can go directly it, there, and I just feel like they're one of us. There's probably. a lot.
0: I feel like there's a lot in common, and I feel like we... We love coffee, bicycles, like, you know, just like there's not that that's it, but I mean, just like there's <laughs> almost I, it. I, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, no, I, I don't know. I I've been to a handful of places in the Netherlands and every time I'm just kind of I'm just I really do appreciate their approach to a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that that's pretty high up there. I mean, like there's there a lot of places that I've been in the world that I've really enjoyed lots of cities that I've been to that I've really enjoyed um But like, if I had to, like, if you kicked me out of Paris tomorrow and I had to live somewhere, mm. um and it wasn't London, then it would probably be Amsterdam, you know, or maybe New York. And so Amsterdam is the only one that counts for the rules you set. So I guess
2: yeah, that's
1: yeah. I just need to explore more. I've barely been there. I need to go and do more. Uh, but talking to cool. citizenship, if you get that though, right, and the passport, then in theory you can live anywhere. That in
0: it's in Europe. Yeah. Well, I can live anywhere I want. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah, it's really cool. I think it's that that's also part of the reason that it is such a high. I realize that like the, the main reason that I want to get my citizenship is because I built a life here and I never want anyone to take it away from me. Mm. So and I've already had to leave twice because my visas ran out and that was there were no other options. Yeah. So that's the main thing. But then there is there's a part of me that's always wanted to the thing, I've always said this, um, and I don't know really how reasonable this is like this is a dream that i had when i was a teenager and then you grow up and you're like ah. but um if i could spend like on a year long language program where i spent let's say 6 months in paris after getting my citizenship i spend it getting my german back cuz i studied german as well mm-hmm. then i moved to germany and spent 6 months in berlin let's say working on my german and then the next 6 months of that same year in berlin i start the next language so i start learning italian in german mm. yeah and then keep flip flopping uh, like that yeah. between countries. I feel like that's like, it's not the quickest way to become a polyglot, but it definitely Cut. is like a really fun way to do it.
1: You know? That's not a real way um, to do it. I don't, never thought of that. That'd
0: be awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's huh. something that I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping in there. I think that the hardest, the hardest, the reason I wouldn't do it necessarily right now is because this is the first time in my life that I've had like a real sense of community mm. in like, I've I've definitely been a part of great communities. If anybody hears me say that and it's like, what um, don't, please don't take offense to that but i'm in a place where i've never felt like i was home i've never felt like oh i could be here so that is the tension now of being like oh Mm -hmm. it took so much work to get there i don't want to throw that away at the same time i do it is a city that's very transient and a number of my closest friends are always on the the verge of like moving for a better opportunity so we'll have to see i think uh i mean as long as cooper my dog is welcome in the country it'll be great but we're we're very spoiled because, like, France is so dog-friendly. That,
2: yes, like, it's very. It's
1: going to be very hard to move anywhere else. So, hmm. I, I, can't, I can't believe the idea has never come to me, actually. But the problem is, as most British people listen right now, i just got the head in the hands because, because of Brexit, you can't do that very easy anymore. You're, yeah, you're not yeah. European anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, not European. So uh, that makes things a tad easy and they're all rushing to Ireland to get their passport. Well, time yeah.
0: to, now you know your next destination.
1: It's just like, oh, but I put so much time in Canada to get a passport. I should have gone to Ireland instead. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah.
2: oh,
0: well. You live in learn. but that's. Yeah, a, but you know what? By landmass, by landmass, Canada offers
1: so much more. Indeed, it does. Yeah, it's just bloody cold. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> okay, so Paris, I know you touched on you're there, you like the feel, mm-hmm. but what is it about Paris that made you want to stay? Like, is there just the way? people are is it the way you have your coffee is it the way the old streets come together and make this little nice little district like what is it about parents yeah maybe number three definitely not how people are that's the
0: number <laughs> one thing we complain about here okay. um, you, you're not parisian until you complain about parisians as a habit i don't think but um no i uh Yes, that's a great question. I think honestly, there's just a general vibe to start. Like there's some, and I think that's something that a lot of people feel. I don't think that I'm the only one. I think a lot of people come here and they're like, "Wow, this place! Um, there's something really magical about it." In the streets, in the culture, the cafe culture, the even though the coffee is not, this is going to get me in a lot of trouble too. By default, the coffee here is not good either. But like it's that thing of they're we're they're coming along. Like I'm I'm very much a specialty coffee drinker. I like my you know my my snooty um, what'd you call it hipster coffee. Um, so I skipped past Starbucks, I guess, but, um, you know, so many things are changing here. I think it's that it's, there's just, there was a vibe. There's a lifestyle. I think the lifestyle is the biggest, the really the biggest thing, like, and it's something that, that plays out when you see people living, maybe this is true in London too. When you see people living in the States, New York, Hmm. um, or even just, I think the States in general, people are just really busy and they fill their schedule in a way that isn't conducive to actually building relationships yeah and very few people stop and ask themselves why they're doing that i feel like and it becomes this kind of it's just you're just jumping into the rat race so completely and that's a whole other conversation to have but the cool thing about life here is that it's very common depending on the job you have and whatever else but whenever you have a bit of free time or even just in the evenings after you get off work people have a tendency to go post up on a terrace somewhere get something to drink and even if it's just for an hour but before they go home or before they you know go on to whatever their evening plans are there's just this fluidity to it where people spend more time together and there's not a rush so like if you go to a restaurant or um a cafe or whatever you buy one drink they'll leave you alone for a couple hours like they don't Uh care um which from a business standpoint is drives me nuts like it's (laughs) mind-boggling like why where like how do these places stay open but from a consumer standpoint, from a customer standpoint, it's it can be very, very nice to just be like, oh, we are just here and we're going to enjoy what we want to enjoy. And there's no pressure to do any more, to buy any more. And I think that's actually one of the one of the biggest draws, honestly, is the
1: is that is the elements of the lifestyle. Yeah, two things. Okay. So I met uh Oliver G from the Earful Tower podcast in Paris yeah. for an interview in a cafe. And the first thing he said, yeah, the coffee is shit. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Oh, I've been loving the coffee so far. I can't believe he said it. He's Australian. they have great hipster coffee. I get it. Yeah. And um, and number two, been in America the last six weeks before I got back to Vancouver. The amount of takeaway coffee places, like, how hard is it to find? Sometimes in not the big cities, I mean, just like small town America, just a normal café that serves you a normal cup, not a takeaway cup, to sit in yeah. and have a coffee for half an hour, forty-five minutes. People are always driving through. I'm like, this yeah. is pretty I actually found it pretty sad that people just as food as well, food and drink, they just drive through and get it and go. I'm like, there's no what there's no half an hour to sit down and have a chat. I found yeah. it quite sad actually.
0: Yeah, me too. I, it's not something that I want to go back to. I think that one of those things about being in the States, I think whenever I go back, there was a period where I would get a little bit of culture shock actually going back, especially after I lived in West Africa for a while. And the my parents were living in Texas at the time, so I'd fly into east texas Mm. and that was the biggest culture shock of my life every time i would go from one to the other and everything you're describing about like yeah the convenience and drive throughs and everything it's like everything is it does often feel like everything's ratcheted up to this level of efficiency where you feel like oh like i'm saving time and i'm doing this that the other thing and people forget that we're we're meant to live a little bit along the way you know like Efficiency is great, but like, to what end? Like, yeah. And means. the 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 richest parts of life are the parts that you share with others, where you stop, you slow down, and you, you know, actually get to know someone and get to be known. And that's not going to happen through a drive-through window or on Zoom, or not on Zoom, but well, Zoom, yeah. But I was going to say TikTok, you know, like whatever. There's just there, yeah. It's interesting when I go to the states; it feels like there, there, there are always higher and higher barriers between people.
1: Yeah, and I think the only. Non-barrio cities, probably in the bigger cities. Like I love to go into New York's Manhattan because people are in cafes and they're kind of mingling together, like like a Paris or a London, right? But in the outside of the big ones, yeah, I, there's an interesting viewpoint I, I saw from that. Sorry, yeah.
0: yeah, we've lost. Uh, I think they call them uh, third spaces, right? Like that idea that there's a community space, which is mm. the the thing that Starbucks capitalized on, where they they are very good about letting leaving you alone, like letting you have some space, meet people, talk to yes. friends, do your thing. Yeah um you know but that that used to be community centers or churches or even parks and you know uh, americans are so scared in general right now it feels like nobody even wants to spend time in a park because you know it's just yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy to me how i feel like whenever i go back to the states there for one i feel like everywhere i turn someone's trying to make a profit off of me and not just a profit, but they're like trying to ratchet it up to that point of like, what is the most I can get out of you for this? Like what, Mm -hmm. what is the optimal amount of money I can pull out of you? So it kind of stops. It feels like if I were to live there, like you would just get blood dry. Um, And then, yeah, I think the other side of it is there's just something about the, the distance between people that, that only keeps growing. And I think we could, there's a long conversation to have about social media and the 24 hour news cycle. But I think that also people are allowing it to happen themselves and there needs to be i don't know we, there's 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 definitely a level of effort that can be put in to bridge those gaps but it's not easy and and if you live in a system that does not encourage it that actually discourages it that just makes it so hard so yeah
1: it's a huge conversation i don't want to go there too much but usa yeah. for like traveling and seeing things unreal it yeah unbelievable amount of different stuff you can see for you know volcanic stuff mountains beaches whatever you want to see but then we ask ourselves oh do you live here absolutely not i, I yeah. could not deal with the constant it's like ultra capitalism i'm you know, i'm not anti-capitalist to so say let's let's not go there but it is another <laughs> level there where they do try and get the last dollar out of you and it's like little things from advertising on the street so if you watch tv you can't watch an nba game about one minute going past, and there's like another advert. It's just constant buy this, do this, get this. And it's just grating. And then the final point, like you say, the community aspect, I just found that there wasn't any. And yeah. it's quite, yeah, you know, pockets were having that, like Cannon Beach, for example, nice little community there. And they go on the beach and they get their chairs out and have coffee. But in most places, it's pretty, pretty damning.
0: Yeah, it's pretty hard. I think that there's a level of intentionality that you have to put into community that in the past was built into the way that our communities were built right like yeah. towns and cities and it's also that kind of element of charity and so forth that used to be at the core of the American ethos for sure I can't speak to anyone else but you know like I know that growing up volunteering whether that was at like a soup kitchen or to help somebody build a house or whatever like we spent I spent so much time as a kid volunteering and being a part of the community, going out and just actively contributing. And I know that in France, that, that's very hard to do. Like there's not a lot of opportunities to do that. And it still exists in the States, I'm sure. But I don't know. There's, it just, it does feel like we've been pushed, pushed apart. And yeah. And to be cynical about it, it does feel like it's just because it makes somebody somewhere more money
1: that we're not together. Yeah. Tip to I think. Uh, probably the most I've seen actually in a lot of countries I've been to that you can feel it the most like it's just it, it's gone to another level last night like, I don't know that five ten years I don't know what's happened but it just seems very polarizing that people are just like as them and us but you're actually the same in the same country but
0: 100% well I, I think it's that thing that like the division all of it's all of it's fabricated for profit and it's yeah. it's very much like the you know and there are studies that show that like the the more anxious the more sad the more scared—all these negative emotions the more that you're held in that the more you spend, and mm-hmm. it it is making people a lot more money and they get your attention they can advertise to you whatever and so there's just a lot of deeply cynical elements to it where you're like oh yeah this is it's not any individual like pulling the strings it's just the incentives within the system are such that it, it will drive you there and yeah if we don't it's important to talk about it because it's that thing where it's like I think we're all aware of it, and I think it's a conversation that's happening more and more. I have no idea how much that conversation's happening, but then the onus, oh man, it's so hard because how do you make change when like for me, like personally, I definitely am off social media as much as possible. yeah, I even ended up getting off Twitter. I don't look at the news like I'm stay up to date through slower news sources if I can, like I will yeah. read about I want to read about it later, yeah, um. My emotional and mental health has only benefited from that. And, yeah. you know, and I have friends that are very, we have conversations about it all the time. I have one friend in particular who she's very, very on Twitter and very, very tuned in. And there are there will be multiple times in the week where I will have to ask and be like, so like, have you thought about just turning Twitter off? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I have those problems that you are so aware of right now come within 5,000 miles of you because I'm pretty sure that only affects you because you're letting someone inject it in your brain. Yeah. There are bigger things. There are trends. There are things. Obviously we need to be informed and I'm not arguing against remaining informed. That's the bedrock of democracy, but um, you know, all the channels we used to rely on to inform us are unfortunately giving way to all those incentives as well. So it's just, it's a tricky time, man. We're all renegotiating our trust in institutions Mm -hmm. and, and, and each other. And it's, it's really unfortunate because it's just, it's it's basically we've we've been we've been I I don't want to throw anybody under the bus but it is we've definitely we've had we've been picked apart for for parts we've been picked apart for parts and then and then sold off and it, and you can feel it
1: yeah I think I complained to my girlfriend now I said why why can't we just like watch or have something that's just not extremities why is it yeah. always that far left or that far right or whatever like why can't we just have something that's normal in the middle. And I think because then the, then the only, both the sides s- will be angry at you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I said, the only, the only site, and people will disagree with this, and I might complain the only site that I get my news from because I think it's the most central is BBC because they are uh, publicly owned and they, they have a, a rule, if you like, a law not to be biased on one side. Um, yeah. Because I'm just fed up. America is, is the worst for it, but I'm fed up just like you go into a motel and you put a new like box. I was going to say, darker. North Korea might be one <laughs> step worse, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. So, anyway, back to Paris, back to better things. Can you speak <laughs> French? I can. How fluid are you now?
0: Uh, I've never tested to see, like, legally how fluent I am. But I'm, if you, if your uh, listeners are familiar with the European language system, I'm probably, I'm C1 to C2. I'm probably C. I would say I'm C1 comfortably. Um, so that would be like, I'm fluent, um, but I, you would not mistake me for a native
1: speaker. Can you make joke?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: well, that's the height, isn't it? It looks make like jokes. I was going to say, you, you, doesn't it doesn't yeah.
0: guarantee they're funny, but I can definitely make <laughs> it jokes. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a few years ago, I had a friend that she, um, we were just talking about this the other day. She's proud of me for sticking with this because a few years ago, I made it my goal to make French service staff laugh. Okay. Right. Which is a high mountain to climb, huh. but I was <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I was like, hey, man, if I can get this past like dumb luck and get to a point where I'm always like able to win them over and make them laugh, then I'll, I'll then I'll really feel like I speak French. And, and it was brutal at first. It was definitely a best 50 50. Like it was not like so many jokes that did not translate, did not make sense. And a lot of that is you, you you know, because humor, people will say like, oh, this culture or that culture has or had doesn't have a good sense of humor, which I, I mean, you know, maybe that's true, but maybe we could talk about German some other time. But aside from that, I feel like, everybody universally has like jokes humans like there's so much yeah. humor that transcends language um and then within language once you understand it, you're like oh these are the same jokes we would make i just don't know how to structure it properly or to use mm. the like words or whatever um and so so much of it i felt like it was just wasn't translating it like word for word it was really finding the art of saying like oh they just wouldn't say it that way um and then finding the right way of saying it, which was often very painful. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I put in my reps. I'm not going to say I'm like doing stand up comedy anytime soon, but
1: I think I'm it's not key, though. Totally boring. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I think it's key because you, you have a YouTube channel, right? So I have a podcast. and I think, well, my my big aim next year, as you know, apart from the podcast and the my own YouTube, I'm trying to sell, I want to do like a writing class for like joke, a like, comedy class. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be like I don't know Ricky Gervais anything, but I think uh, yeah, if I can do like a five minute set next year. Like at the end of yeah. the year, that's a that's a good goal. But I think it helps things like this YouTube, and just makes it a bit oh yeah a bit lighter, right? Because going to the previous conversation is a bit depressing about that sort of stuff. You just need to maybe share some laughs and have a joke. Hundred percent.
0: No, that's and I think i I respect stand up comedians so much, and I'm lucky to have some as friends and watch them do their thing and. I mean, man, what a grind. But I, I think it's that thing too. It is it is valuable because it teaches you so much about also reading a room, understanding yeah. what's what works, what doesn't, why. And I think for one, it teaches you too. Sometimes it's not you. You can deliver really good material that works in every other room, but it might not work in a room because they just kind of suck. You know, like <laughs> yeah, maybe they don't yeah. get it. Maybe it's just cold, maybe whatever. So at the same time, like it also, I think, if you can take the beating that it initially delivers, pretty much everyone, you know, then you're going to come out the other side a much better communicator, stronger, and just a you know a heartier human being with a few scars to show for it.
1: All about rejection. Can you take rejection? I definitely can, but a little bit. So uh... there you go. Then <laughs> yeah. you're ready. So you're ready. Like if you if you think you know it could be anything from asking to go out on a date or doing a joke, whatever. If you can accept that they're going to say no or not laugh at you, that's all right. But a lot of people can't accept that, so they don't put themselves out there.
0: 100%. That's actually a really good, that's like a good bedrock thing to take from it, right? Like, if you struggle with rejection, maybe time to throw yourself into a situation where you're going to get rejected, <laughs> so you can learn to deal with it, you know? Otherwise,
1: you won't do anything, right? You just sit there and... Yeah, exactly. I cool. Okay. Paris questions, but uh, maybe some favourite districts that you like hanging out in. Yeah, I mean,
0: I generally am going to be a favourite of the canal or the back half of Montmartre, personally. Um... So I mean, all of, Montmartre in general is great. There are some areas that just get too crowded. Yeah. But then the canal, if your uh, listeners are familiar with Canal Saint Martin, which is the canal that runs north of the Seine, uh, it is just where all the good food is at. So, like, if you want to be—I mean, I know there are left bank stands out there. I'm going to get myself in trouble uh, with the people that are hardcore left bank, but the the best bars, food. Coffee. Everything that's happening is happening on the right bank, and it's going to be in the northeast. Okay. And what is the most underrated
1: tourist spot? This is a patron shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers, who has contributed five pounds to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it, and it helps the podcast to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my patron, the website address. Is patreon.com forward slash Wigan Travel Podcast. For five English pounds, you will receive some trendy stickers from myself and the post, a shout out on each episode, and also my digital travel planner by email. Thank you for your support.
0: Most underrated thing in Paris, I think. Well, it's my favorite museum in the city, is one that most people don't know about. And part of that's because it was closed for the last five years it's been reopened now for maybe two years but it was closed for the first five years of my time here and it's the carnivalet and the Carnavalet museum is the museum of paris so it's filled wow. with artifacts wow. from prehistory all the way to modernity yeah. um and right now they have on display they have the the ceremonial vase or a ceremonial vase from the uh 1924 olympics so it's a wow. centennial mm. um Artifact, I guess you'd say, but the whole thing is really wonderfully put out. They 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 are laid out. They did a really good job of renovating the whole space. And so as you go through, there's lots of tactile stuff to do for kids. There's a lot of stuff for those that are um, impaired, like sight impaired. So there's a lot of uh, braille and ways of in, engaging with the the environment and the um, what would you call it the displays. And then just the whole thing is amazing. Like if you are a fan of Paris at all and you like history. Uh, you have to go and it's free so oh. there's like i mean double win oh, win squared yeah and it's in the <laughs> it's, it's basically it's in the Marais. it's in the third but it's in the it's in the Marais. um so everybody wants to go to the Marais to walk around anyways and you're probably yeah. going to end up there so it's it's going to be very
1: convenient great little of that yeah i love that okay you mentioned paris controversially has crap coffee but can you name somewhere that's decent coffee Oh, of course
0: I can. I can. I can rattle off dozens of good places. Maybe, that, five, which is, maybe five. Maybe
1: yeah. five.
2: rattle.
0: <laughs> no, I just it's that thing where in the past, and to to be fair, like I think again, it depends on what your standards are for coffee. But like, of the Australians listening, will appreciate this. But um, it's that thing of like the cafe culture is what's great about Paris and yeah. the ability to sit and just enjoy it and whatever. But they will serve you like what they generally will serve you is going to be. The equivalent of an espresso, and if you're fine with that, then great. Just set expectations. Then you can take my comments about it being crap, and you can throw them in the garbage. Clearly, <laughs> I don't know you, and I'm not I'm not made for you. But if you are a fan of a good flat white or like a filtered coffee, or you know something that's you want to taste the coffee and you don't want it to taste like ash, then uh, my number one spot to go would definitely be Motors. Motors. There's a bunch of great places. But Motors is really, really good because it's very central. It's in the first arrondissement, easy to find near Chatelet um, or Chatelet, um, or I always say it wrong, and now somebody's gonna make a comment. Anyways, um, Motors they just do a very, very good job of being very consistent. They have very interesting beans on offer all the time. Okay. Usually yeah. they'll have options between different types of uh, beans for both filter and espresso. And then their in-house pastries are amazing, oh. and they also bring in donuts from the only donut shop in paris which is also a vegan donut shop so you can uh win three times over there there's only one donut shop in paris there's well as far as where i would go yeah, oh, there, yeah. You can, you, <laughs> okay you, you can get donuts at any train station in paris but you're gonna
2: regret
1: yeah. it <laughs> yeah. okay very interesting Cause so i i have a youtube channel for copy only the specifically copy okay. and i yep. think I'm just, gonna, I'm just finding very quickly i had three in paris that i thought was okay. worth recording. Uh, I met Oliver G at a, a cafe called Le Peloton. I don't know, yep. if you know that. Um, do know he it, said yeah. they did decent coffee. So we sat down yep. and had the coffee and recorded. But, okay. Uh, yeah, one's touristy. Anyway, I went to <laughs> <laughs> I went to a place called Le Comtois. Le- Le the San Peri. Oh, yeah. It's right in the middle of probably a tourist area. But Le Comtois. No, but this sounds really familiar. Saint-Purri. Okay, yeah.
0: You have to send know. it to me. There, there are a few places named the Comptoir, but I don't know. That doesn't. I don't know that that rings a bell. So maybe I have to check it out.
1: Oh, okay. And I had one, which was absolutely decent, called uh, Valentine Cafe. But this is one we found just like walking down to the Seine, went down a random street. Oh, yeah, cafe there. Said proper coffee, not espresso. Baguette for like one euro fifty. Unreal. Amazing with baguettes too. Yeah, that's. This just one of the things we found like, oh, yeah, this is bigger. there's a bigger there. There's a bigger there. It's unreal. But yeah, just... I
0: think that's the joy of it. Like for me, like I do obviously make lots and lots of recommendations for having a good time in Paris and for the people that are going to travel like I would travel. But I think that one of the things that I tried to emphasize a lot is that as much as I as much as I would love people to buy my guide um, and uh, support what I'm doing, at the same time, one of the best parts about Paris is the exploring. And yes. exactly what you just described, which is, like one of my favorite things is either you see the sand, you know where it is, and is, you're going to walk towards it. And then as you're going, you're like, oh, what's that spire? And so then you kind of deviate. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, that smells good. What's that? And like, oh, OK. And like, so you try something and and you find yourself wandering through the city in a way that like can be very, very pleasant. It can be very slow. It can be fast, but you can discover a lot. That's kind of how I got to know the city so well, was I would just let myself. Go, and that's how I found every place that I recommend. You know, I mean, obviously that people have told me about places that I've gone to and loved, but by and large, they're places that I just found because I was wandering around, and and the aesthetic attracted me, and I tried it, and I was like, oh, this is really good. And I think that that's something that anybody coming to Paris should invest some real time and effort into, because if you don't, if you just go to where everybody goes, and if you just follow the crowds, that's fine. If it's your first time coming to Paris, like so a lot of times you just want to get it out of your system, so just go, just go to all the touristy spots, hit them all. And, you know, then come back to Paris and do it more slowly later. But if you can, I would highly encourage just like picking a random
1: small street and be like, well, let's just walk down this and then seeing where it takes you. That's my mantra for most places. But I think the best place in the world to do that is Paris.
2: Yeah, Just, don't, just
1: there. don't plan it. Just go and walk take like left and right down little streets. Oh, it's, it's a dream. It really is a dream. It is. It's amazing. And one last coffee shop was called The Coffee. I think they're Japanese. Oh, yeah. The Coffee's very good, yeah. And they yeah, just opened okay. a second location recently. Yeah, yeah. I think I went to the one in Le Marais, I think. Yeah, uh, that was their first one.
0: Yeah, them. very trendy inside, very chic. Very chic, very nice, clean lines, very
1: photogra- photogenic. And yes. you even order on a tablet. It's so technologically. Yeah, forward. you don't to speak to a human being. It's unreal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, what we've got here. Uh, you kind of talked about this already. I don't know if it's worth asking again, but being an Anglophone in Paris, traditionally you you speak French obviously but you do you do recognize people recognize that you're not local right you're not native it is is that obvious and but can that be nobody knows
0: until I speak um I mean like (laughs) it it depends I get asked for directions by people all the time so I definitely blend in um but on the other side yeah i mean like when i talk to people yeah my my accent gives me away right away they don't know that i'm american they'll often oh, assume okay. that i'm yeah. and it changes like it used to be people thought I, I my accent used to be maybe more german continental and now it's more english people think i'm english a lot of the time
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and i i have no problem pronouncing anything in the french language like if you give me if you, if you give me the test i will pass it but like all my habits are so formed that i think it would require some real re-education to get me to properly speak french uh it's within my capacity and i probably should do it but i i don't feel motivated because they love my accent and it gets me okay. it gets me a lot of charm points and it also helps to erase a lot of mistakes um mm. if i if i if i do something a little bit that's a little bit of a faux pas or if i misgender a food item
1: um you know nobody's jumping down my throat they just think <laughs> it's cute and then they move on and for anyone going to paris who doesn't speak any french you would advise especially for Paris to learn a few words, right?
0: Yeah. I think the one that I always say is uh, it, it sounds so basic, but it's really important is bonjour. Like just being able to say hello. You don't have to say, well, you say bonjour, it's fine. Um, But the, it is the key to having a good time in Paris because traditionally like restaurants, especially, but a lot of businesses pretty much double as someone's home. Um, They might live in the space above the shop. You might literally be walking into someone's home uh, where they're cooking. Um, and that has that kind of sense and tradition has carried on so when you walk in you always want to say hello it's just polite Mm. and you you're kind of announcing yourself and if you don't do that you will see a difference in how people treat you and so if you find yourself being like treated a little bit off like coldly if people are off put if they're not really you know I'm not guaranteeing parisian service is going to be warm but if you feel like there's a consistency
1: there, it might be that you're not saying bonjour and you will definitely notice a difference when you do. Yeah, I know five words bonjour, savant, jean m'appelle, pretty much right here. But the bonjour, savant, even though I was scared of the response because they're going to ask me a question, I'm not going to know what they're going to say. I think yeah. you're right. It does get you in just a little bit because then if you make a mistake or you don't know the word, they're like, oh, okay. You, well, you said hello. Fine. Yeah, exactly. You the said bonjour, savant. Yeah. Okay. It's all that matters.
0: And I mean, you can go as far as you want with that, but I mean, like, it's hard. Like if you're traveling, in a new country, it's really hard to maintain the words in your brain of any new language. Um, so for me, I guess it's that thing. Where it's like, I don't I don't hold it against anybody if they don't. I think it's just how you ha- it's just how you behave. So as long as you're gracious and you you like you try you make that effort and then and you don't just assume that they speak English, um, it's going to go very far in your favor. The French, I think, especially in Paris, like it's changed a lot. Like people speak a lot more English here than they used to Yeah. Uh, when I first lived here 11 years ago now. Wow. Um, you know, people speaking, speaking English was much, was a much different game than it is now. And now people are really welcoming. And a lot of times you find people really want to speak English. And so that you might have the opposite problem. If you want to practice your French, they Mm. might want to practice their English and you might end up being disappointed because they are insistent in speaking English and you're like, ah, but I wanted to speak French. And so I guess then the second tip would be like, I know it's disappointing, but maybe don't be too, too too offended if you can help it. If they don't want to speak French with you, because it's been it has taken so long for them to come around to the idea that they could speak English. Like, let's just encourage it. Like, yeah, like, yeah I think
3: so.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just go for it. Just speak English with them. We'll we'll appreciate it so much. And if people don't want to hear English, just go to Quebec City. They want to speak. English yeah, there you too. go. Exactly. <laughs> there you yeah. Go. Uh, and
2: I, I like mean, that's, French, but...
0: well. If you get if you really want to immerse yourself, you got to get out of Paris. Like, there's no. Yeah, I know people that have lived here for a long time. who still don't speak French, so it's very oh, wow. possible really? to just huh. yeah, you could live your life here and not le- learn you know a lick of the language. So that can't happen in my book. I, I don't. I'm not saying I approve of it. I'm just saying it's possible. <laughs> I just think you have to. Otherwise, you're just never in it. Well, and the thing is that like your life, I cannot imagine it just because life here is, it's really challenging. It's already really challenging to move to a new place, and it's really hard to. It is hard to speak a new language, but. If you don't speak French living in France, especially I don't know about especially in Paris, but just in general, you you've already taken a country that generally turns life onto hard mode for everyone and you've managed to find a harder mode to play it on. Yeah. So like I wouldn't I, I would definitely be trying to move that down to at least a medium and that and and speaking French is going to be the first step to that for sure,
1: yeah. I, I think any language you want to learn. No, any country you want to go to, don't speak English. You've got to learn the language. My 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 one aim in the next few years is I'm gonna dump myself, probably in South America somewhere, for like yeah. three months and just learn Spanish and not you know, not, not make an effort. I'm gonna go there and learn it, I'm gonna get involved. I speak basic uh, basic Spanish is like very basic, but I can get in there, not be afraid, I'm gonna learn it. But I think that's the only way. But if you're gonna to move to a country that's
2: you
1: know, long term and you're not learning language, I don't understand. That's like having yeah, I mean... that's like having a like a, a wife or a husband who speaks another language, we're not going to learn it. You're kind of bothered. Well, that's no point because your kids are going to I, speak to, to the other half in a language you don't understand. Probably saying stuff about you. That I mean, that happens so often though, <laughs> and
0: <laughs> and shockingly how often they actually well, and that's that's actually that's a very like American thing where like a lot of times there I have a lot of friends whose parents refuse to speak their native language with their kids because they're like, no, you need to speak English, and that that's also a tragedy, right? Where it's Definitely. like, no, but they're going to speak English. Don't worry mm. about that. Like. So, yeah, no I don't I don't know. i i I get it in the sense that it can be it can be a lot. And it depends on why you're in a place and you know and what what you're doing there because there are varieties of um immersion, and some people are much yeah. more deeply immersed in in a place than others. And I think that, you know, a place like Paris affords people who don't want to or can't really get as immersed to still do it. And so, in that way, it's like that, that kind of works. Like, and I, and I get it, but I agree with you that, like, it's, it's like your gym coach telling you, you're only cheating yourself. You know, like, if you mm-hmm. don't, you know, you don't have to do those sit ups, nobody cares, but like, you're only cheating yourself. And it's the same thing. Like, if you live in a place and you don't speak the language, you're only cheating yourself. Like, you're, and that's not entirely true because who knows how many friends you could have made and how much yeah. richness you could have brought to other people's lives if you just learned how to communicate with. Them.
1: I imagine I'm French, where you can go, like, Lots of Africa and bits of you know, Central America, South America, and speak the language and could, you know be there and doing it. But yeah. it's not—it's not like a single language like German, where no one's going to speak it, and it's pointless. <laughs> Sorry, James. But or Dutch, French, like you French, said, yeah. the old Dutch, yeah, but French language is definitely one to learn. It's a useful one. Yeah. Okay. A few more questions about Paris. Before we get to YouTube. Uh, you did have an ordeal staying in Paris, right? There was an—I think that's in your book, but there's an absolute succession of. Arriving in France, Paris, visas, ending, coming out, going back in. Yeah. How long did that process take where you can finally say, oh, I can just stay normally now Not, not worry about that? Wow, yeah. I mean, if you go back to, like, when I first lived in France, it basically took me a decade.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. And is that because you're on the wrong visa or just because I- – I saw somewhere that, yeah, you had a bit of trouble with a visa and a job fell through. Or... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Well, a lot of things. I think, like, the, the – uh, I mean – Probably the biggest thing was the visa. I mean, not that was not the biggest thing was not the visa. I, I, the visa was definitely a big technicality, like coming on a visa that was limited and that I knew I was going to have to leave. Like that was just, a, that was poor planning. I mean, or when well, also just maybe I wasn't aware of any other opportunities, but I also, you know, I didn't have any money and I was struggling just to make it. And I was struggling to figure out how to how to do all of that. So I think a big part of it was just struggling to make ends meet long enough to be able to afford to make the jump. Um, And then when I did finally make the jump, I could not afford it. But I also couldn't afford to stay where I was like I was going insane. Mm -hmm. So I just took a really, really big risk. I actually went bankrupt shortly after I moved uh, here. Um, I went back in the States. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. It was really, really beneficial. But In that way, like I ended up starting completely from scratch when I moved here. Like I, I was lucky enough to have this room that you can see behind me to stay in for free. uh, Thanks to the mother-in-law of a doctor I worked with in West Africa. And so she let me stay here on a temporary basis at first. And then she was like won over and was like, no, you can stay. Um, Very, very generous of her. But aside from that, like I, the job that I had lined up here, like was six months delayed. Um, you know, all the projects i have been working on had failed. I was vlogging daily at that time. So I was making a video every day. That was kind of what I was doing creatively to stay sane. Um, but you know, I didn't even have, I had maybe at that point, maybe 500 subscribers, maybe Mm -hmm. 600, you know, so I was, uh, just struggling to make something happen and
1: got very lucky with the visa that I got and the fact that I could, that I could start over here. Okay. And one random question: I don't know if you're into sports, but have you got into French sports like football or rugby?
0: Not really. I've gone no. to. I definitely yeah. I've, people, I I've just I just also ignited a fire somewhere. Um, yeah, not really. I've gone. To, I've definitely gone to a variety of sporting events, which is cool. I did get to see France beat the All Blacks last year, so that was oh, pretty yeah. amazing. Great game. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was amazing. So that was my first. That was my first rugby game in person, and I was like, "Well, I can never go to rugby again." Like I've seen. <laughs> that is
1: I've, almost a pinnacle
0: yeah, yeah yeah i was gonna say i've seen i've seen miracles happen i can't do this now um <laughs> so no i haven't i haven't gotten particularly into french sports okay but i will say that said tournament time like the world cup is fun and i really really
1: enjoy that so i, I do enjoy the environmental. yeah because they had the world cup last year lost the final well this year yeah no, i can't remember now I know late, it was very it was Russia. I was yeah, I think it was in the summer, right? Because it was uh, wait, win- no Was it last year? The winter. Yeah, yeah Christmas. A- that's right. Christmas time, yeah, a a weird time.
0: California yeah. watching it from a hotel lobby by myself being sad. So I was actually very, very into that. Like I was I was up at five in the morning or whatever to watch France uh win and then lose.
1: Uh and yeah, i was sad. Yeah, I was stuck on a Greek island because the the weather went bad. It, basically the same hotel room watching on TV, but great game. Yeah. <laughs> okay, YouTube channel. So Listeners can search Jay Swanson in YouTube and I yep. did. And obviously you come up pretty pretty easily. Ninety thousand followers, pretty much you've got. Yeah, it's getting up there. That's a heck of a journey from being like you said, you'd mentioned previously about being five, six hundred doing daily vlogs. Yeah. That's a heck of a journey. So do you now release every week, every month? And what sort of content are you releasing on there?
0: Yeah, so I've kind of gone through a bit of a transformation when I, I was daily vlogging for over three years and then have spent a lot of the time after that really trying to figure out where i'm at what i'm doing and i'm just getting back to it like i finally feel like i'm figuring it out Um, and i'm about to start i'm about to start vlogging again
1: hey yeah just a quick one i just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast you can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with five dollars or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with Tee Public, where there's plenty of merch available to buy such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser or GoodPods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find me, Displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so at this point I'm basically launching back into vlogging. I spent the last year focused on Paris tourism stuff because yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of demand for that, lots of questions. And um I have a comprehensive guide that's, you know, when it was a PDF, I think it was 150 pages long, just filled with essays on what to do, like how to get around every kind of everything you needed to know, plus a few hundred recommendations like we're talking about that are like places i actually like mm-hmm. um and so we've been converting that into um an online version that eventually will evolve into other things but just trying to make the experience that much better for people but at the end of the day like that you know like that can only really go so far you can only make so many videos about how to use the bus in paris before yeah. like both people know and also you're going to go insane And what I've loved most about YouTube really has been sharing my life and the journey that I'm on. So that's kind of what I'm getting back into more right now. I'm going to be uploading. Don't hold me to this because I'm still working through it to make sure for sure. But I think I'm going to upload about three times a month and I'm going to hold myself to like a real exercise in getting better at telling stories like I'm Mm. not a bad storyteller, but like I have a lot to learn and grow. And I think that in my journey, I've tried skipping a lot of steps and i don't think that that did me any favors so i kind of want to go back and just be like okay i want to do i want to kind of go back to basics like i think i have my own a little bit of my own style a little bit of my own whatever i can bring to this however i don't want to be precious about it i don't want to have an ego like i want to go steal like i want to go find stuff that i love and i don't want to steal from it liberally and i want to do the shots and make the things and like learn from people that have done amazing things that i respect um And really exercise that muscle in a different way. So as you can probably tell from our conversation, like I have, I have lived a life, like I have Mm. uh, been around, I have fallen flat on my face many times, I have a lot um, that I could offer at least to people that are right behind me that are, you know, that are following behind and and maybe I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be a guru to the greats, you know, but like, I think my goal right now is to kind of turn around and be like, okay, well, what are the, where are the people that are, that are on a similar life journey i mean we're all on a very similar like none of us are all that special or unique we're all very special and unique but we all have so much in common how do i pull from the things that i've gone through and the things that i've healed from and give that back so i'm kind of trying to figure out okay how do i engage with my audience in a way that like supports and encourages and
1: you know just i I don't know i just want to make sure that people know they're going to be okay you know yeah that's That's great. And also, is that gonna be just specific on Paris, or maybe a bit more branching out? No, I think it's gonna be back to me. I think like Mm -hmm. when I was vlogging daily, it was all about me. Um, Paris was
0: a backdrop. And occasionally I would make a video about Paris. And that's kind of what I'm going to go back to where there will definitely be videos in there about Paris, like if I Mm. come up with something that I think is actually fun and interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And tons of I mean, Paris is the backdrop. So lots of opportunities to share Paris. Um, But I think that like, there's a very limited audience for Paris. Like, it's a very big audience, but it mm. it is, like, with the tourist stuff, people coming through, they're coming to find a couple good coffee shops for their trip, and then they're going to carry on. And I think the coolest thing is, like, Patreon is what made it possible for me to go. And not Patreon. My patrons, specifically, the people yeah. that support me, are the ones that made it possible for me to do this as a, as a living at the beginning. And they're the ones that came for Paris but stayed for me. And they say it that, that way all the time. Like, oh, they wow. came for you know, these tips or these tricks or whatever, but in the end, they wanted to see where I ended up. They wanted to see my story and they wanted to be a part of it. And I think that that's given, that's been such a rich relationship. Obviously as a creator, I'm sure you feel this with your podcast and you will feel this with your YouTube channel. You know, like you can't have a one-on-one relationship with everybody in your audience, but you develop a strong relationship with them as a collective. Mm. I used to call it, but the amorphous blob is what I used to, when I was daily vlogging, <laughs> daily vlogging. when I was daily vlogging, I would talk about like, you know, the amorphous blob. Like there's this I would put out a video, and then the blob would respond. And that it sounds now that I say that, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It just <laughs> kind of in my in my brain, I just saw this cloud of people and points at which there was connection. And collectively, they would, you know, continue a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that's really, really special that. I have definitely lost a little bit of and I want to get back to. and making Paris content doesn't engender that, it, you know, making okay. Paris content for its own sake is useful. And I'm going to continue to support that and make sure that people have a great time when they come to Paris. My guide is amazing for that. We'll continue to make some more videos. But, you know, if I've already got like 30, 40 videos up about Paris, like there's a lot out there. Like, it, it, I could probably make most of my videos about like connecting with people again.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think people can buy your guide. I've got a special little link and a You do, actually. We give you a discount code, eh? Yeah, Yeah. discount code. So people can go to the show notes and just click that and uh, access some money off for Jay's guide about Paris because it looks absolutely extensive. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm at at the same journey as where you were maybe quite long, you know, a few years ago. I'm just just figuring out where am I going with this YouTube? But I do want to do it. I find it very interesting. And the only thing I have is three years of podcasting um, that's, a that's a
0: lot, dude. That's a not, lot. That's yeah, that's only, a lot. Yeah. And it's
1: weekly as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not putting that down, but I do have like ten years of travel. I'm like, oh, how can I immerse that into? Because yeah. you know ten years ago, traveling is very different to now, but I'm sure there's a way I can bring in the content I took and made then. You know, like videos yeah. and photos, and make it into like an immersive YouTube now. But oh yeah, I traveled here. More more storytelling, like you said. That's why I want to do the comedy class and go back to basics. Yeah. You're right. I want to go and learn. How do you tell a story that's funny? So yeah, yeah. that's the, the next phase, really. The,
0: um the book that I referenced this in my last video, and actually I just trashed a video because I was like, I have to I have to get really get back to basics. And the video before that, the book, you know the book Steal Like an Artist? I don't, no. Okay, so the author, Austin Cleon, I'm I'm saying his name wrong. One of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna meet him someday, and he's gonna be like, You've been saying <laughs> yeah. my name wrong for years. Cleon or yeah, let's we'll say Cleon. Um, his book, Show Your Work, is the one that I picked up when I was in London. Okay. And it was exactly what I needed, like right time, right place. Where at the very beginning, he admonishes you to be an amateur, like to go back to being. An, I don't know if he says go back to it, but he said you need to be an amateur. And what he yeah. means by that is like you need to do it for the love of it. You need to give no craps if you succeed or fail. Like be ridiculous in public, have fun, just do what you're doing for the love of it. Yeah. Um. is the very first like step in that book, and it really spoke to me because for me, when I went from YouTubing as a thing where I was like, I was making our vlogging as a thing. And I was trying to tell the story of my life as my life fell apart. Um, Not what I was hoping I was going (laughs) to be telling as a story. Um, And then suddenly the YouTube side became my job. Um, I lost a lot of sense of purpose because
2: Mm.
0: YouTube, like making those videos was never supposed to be the main thing. Like it was supposed to be about the main thing. Yeah. And so when it became the main thing, I really lost, I really lost my North Star. I lost my sense of direction. And it's been years that I've been wandering lost. And now that I'm feeling like, oh, I'm figuring this out, like I'm getting back to like I've always wanted to make movies. Like I wrote, you know, 10 fantasy sci-fi books. I've like that those those are the stories that I want to bring to life. And that's ultimately the the core of why I like filmmaking. Now it's like, okay, now, like, as I get clarity of the future that I really want, that's how it's like working backwards. Like, what do I need to do to get there? Mm. And the core core, or maybe the foundational element of that is what we're talking about is like, I need to fall in love with making these things again, like, I need to just have fun. Yeah. And I need to go back to basics. Like, I need to be like, okay, I don't, I've been too proud my whole life to accept the fact that I need to learn just like everybody else. Mm. And I need to take responsibility for that. And I need to just go back and steal like an artist. And that's literally the first video I'm going to make coming back is my plan is to make a video about stealing like an artist and just just straight up steal some sequences from people that I respect. Pay them homage, obviously, and talk about it. But I just want to go back and be like, I literally was I was literally storyboarding a 30 second sequence where I was just watching on YouTube, pause, drawing out exactly what was there next pause and just like just sketching it out. So it's in my brain. Probably definitely not the most efficient way of doing it. I should just do screenshots, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, but that exercise of like trying to immerse yourself in it and understand what this person really created, then recreate it. It's the same thing as like some of my favorite authors who, you know, went back and hand typed, they typed out by hand, some of their favorite books, word for word. Right. Wow. Yeah. to get into that flow, to feel it. That's the kind of stuff that I used to look at and be like, no way. I'm, I'm, I'm way beyond that. I don't need that. You know? And now I'm like, why don't I need that? You know, if I can't replicate literally anything anyone else can do, and I haven't done what they've done, not I'm not looking to plagiarize anything, but I want to, it's, I keep coming back to Picasso, which is a risky person to come back to. But like, when you look at his work and everything he could do, and then he moved on into new things that no one had ever done before, it's because he could do everything that everyone else could do. Like he spent his time to master it. And then what is left to do but something that is new. And until you get there, yeah, like you're not, I don't know. So I, I've been thinking about this a lot and I I need to eat a little bit of humble pie and be like, okay, hey, I'm gonna I'm obviously not starting from nothing, thankfully, but like at the same time I want to treat it like
1: I am. Yeah. I'm exactly the same position actually. Yeah. Because people ask like, oh how do you start a podcast? Oh, I just bought a microphone. <laughs> yeah there's no there's no science <clears throat> there's no science behind it. Um <laughs> It's just i uh, oh, I'll start it one day and I don't even have a laptop. So you can always start things. I think it's important to start things. But yeah. I, I think you, you're right. You come to that journey, you know, I'm three years down the line now. And if I'm honest, right now, maybe because of this year's been a lot of travel, but I, I need to progress. I need to do something better or something new. And that requires me learning something. So yeah. for me, that is like, okay, I want to be in creative mode. I've done a year traveling. I've got a heck of a lot of countries and stories. Let's try and create something on YouTube. And I'm looking forward to like getting down and Train it out and get it out there. And I think if you love doing that, the process, then surely that's, that's the main thing. That's, that's got, got to be, you can't go in like, no, I want to get like, I don't know, 100,000 subscribers and make money. I think mean, that's a byproduct. you got to love it first yeah. and like what you put out. And it's not always going to be successful.
0: No. And yeah. well, I mean, it's it's going to suck at first. I think the, yeah. you know, it, it's that Anne Lamott, I guess there's an older quote than this, which just, just came up in a conversation, but Anne Lamott, you know, her famous, chapter called shitty first drafts and shoot in on writing and mr beast very famously you know says that you got to make 100 videos and work every video work on improving something different in every video and then when you get to 101 then we can talk you know then maybe Mm. things are going to start and with that there are exceptions to that there are a couple channels i can think of that came out of the gate like firing on all cylinders but it's because they had a decade of like filmmaking expertise behind them already yeah you know and so we look at that it's the kind of that whole thing of like overnight success it's a myth right you look yeah. at the people that come out of the gates or for all you know they just didn't exist in your awareness until suddenly they're a worldwide success and you think well those guys just succeeded overnight they dropped out of college and then they turned, you know whatever and the survivorship bias of that poisons us to the reality that like you have to believe in yourself more than anyone else you have to love what you're doing uh-huh. and you have to be willing to put in seven to ten years before you see any, you know, big results. But the the real result is ultimately going to be that you're, I mean, you're going to change, like you're going to grow, you're going to learn so much. And like, if you can take pleasure in the journey, it sounds so cheesy, but it's really true. Like if you can just enjoy what you're doing for its own sake, then you actually stand a chance. It's the people that get into it thinking, I'm going to be rich and famous, like you're saying.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, no, it's not how it works. But people can't accept that. And I think people know that it takes seven to 10 years, right? I've, I've fully accepted it. I've started YouTube right. in, in the summer. Yeah, you know, I, I don't expect a month down the line, oh yeah, but I know it's gonna be like five, 10 years. So that's, in my yeah, mind, I'm like, it's okay. It's gonna take a long time. And I think- people That's why will... I think
0: you're gonna do great though. I think, I think you're gonna do amazingly because you already have, obviously, you have the skill set to talk. You have like the presence, like I think, and the willingness to do it. The three years of podcasting is not something you just throw in the bin, right? Like that, that is helping you a lot. And that willingness to go back to basics is something that I wish I'd had mm. 10 years ago. Mm. I don't know, man. I think, I think you'll do great. I don't think that there's any reason to think that you won't, yeah. you know? And so I think that it's that thing of, all right, take the, It's I, that's what I was going to say too. Like the balance to being aware that, okay, it's going to take a long time. There probably won't be any results, X, Y, Z, whatever. Then the other side of that is to say, but I do want, This and Mm -hmm. this, like to have a very clear idea of what you want out of it in a certain amount of time. To say like, I do want to make some money out of this, and like because as if if you don't also have a clarity of vision for like where you want to take it, then it will take you longer, right? Like you're gonna just kind of make stuff. You're gonna do whatever. Like that was at least for me. I don't know if you have any listeners that this will resonate with, but hopefully, just at least one person resonates with this. That like I also used that for me, like I went into it when I started daily vlogging in 2016. You know, I set my goals. And I was like, I want to be better at speaking on camera. I want to edit every day, I want to show up, I want to improve, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't put any subscriber goals. I didn't put Mm. any monetary goals, I didn't put anything because I was like, Well, that's out of my control. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. But I was using that as a way of protecting myself from the disappointment of not making it. And it doesn't do you any harm to, to Put a thing on your wall saying in in two years, I'm going to have 100,000 subscribers and I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this because the clarity of that can then guide your decision making and hopefully help you along the way, as long as that's not the driving force, right? Like you get a clarity of vision that hopefully gets you excited, but then you do have to come back to exactly what you're talking about and being like, okay, like, but at the same time, got to go back to basics, Mm got to like, take my time, got to learn, got to just churn away at this and, and then we'll see what happens. It's a hard balance to
1: strike. Like, I don't yeah, know that I'm it, very
0: good at striking it, but it kind of takes both.
1: Yeah. I think that you can spend forever, forever reading about it and thinking about it, but then you have got to go do it eventually. <laughs> you do have to go um, do it. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think the only metric in my mind for YouTube is you, you just need to get to a thousand followers and to 4,000 hours. Now, beyond that is you can't control it. But if you're talking from like a, I guess, a sense of like making a living out of it, we well, need to get to that point first. So I think yeah. it's, maybe this is before and after that. For me, after that, I've got no like 100 subscribers, 100,000. I've got no figures like that. But I think the only thing is a 1,000. But I, I just know it takes time, right? I've been doing the coffee one for, for a year and it's like, yeah, I'm a fifth of the way there. Uh, the way it there. So yeah, it just takes time. But I think you've got to like what you're doing. So I think that's key. What was the name of the coffee one just so I can add a subscriber to you right now? <laughs> well, I've got two. I've got the Winging It Travel podcast. That's the YouTube channel for this podcast. And then my coffee one's called the Trendy Coffee Podcast. Trendy Coffee Podcast. Very simple. Five minutes a week. Somewhere in the world where I went for a coffee.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, you just you just gained a new subscriber <laughs> yeah. on both channels. <laughs> so there you go.
1: <laughs> and anybody listening, make sure you go
0: subscribe to it. It makes all the difference in the world. It does. Because I think it's that thing where it's a, it is a hard thing of like we talk about. So among friends who are YouTubers, we talk about this all the time because subscriber count in so many ways is a vanity metric, right? Like. You can have somebody with four yeah. million subscribers earning less money than somebody with a hundred thousand subscribers just based on how they've built what they're doing, how they're monetizing it, like there's so many elements to it. So
2: huh.
0: that's why nobody takes TikTok view counts as seriously because we know that that view doesn't really mean a whole lot. Like somebody's just they they saw a couple seconds they swipe by whatever the metric is. And similarly, like the one of the one of the benefits to YouTube is that like both view counts and subscribers still mean something, even if subscriber count don't mean as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know, because for me, this is this is me talking to myself right now. Like I've never had subscriber goals. I've never actively tried to grow. I've, I've never done a lot of those things. And for me, a lot of that was because I was scared. Like I was scared to, I was both scared to fail. Obviously, failing in public sucks. I was also scared to succeed because deep down like my main concern was I was worried that it would demonstrate that I wasn't actually worthy, right? Mm. Like I was imposter I was syndrome. wrestling with <laughs> imposter syndrome is yeah. a huge part of it and mm. and you know just a being worthy of love at a core level, right? And so it's taken me a long time to get to wrestle with that. Um but now when I look at it, I still agree. Yeah, subscribers vanity metric. Like it doesn't keep me up at night that I don't have a million subscribers. Mm. Um and like, I'm not that concerned about it from like, um, so many perspectives. However, at the same time, I recognize that it would bring better business opportunities. It would also mean that there's a chance that I'm actually impacting more people like, mm. and reaching more people. And I've been standing in my own way this whole time out of that fear when growth for its own sake, isn't great growth, uh, or actually growth for its own sake is not good at all, probably, but like growth to do good is not bad. And if I could help more people have a good time in Paris, help more people feel less stress when they visit, and hopefully like just have a positive impact on more people's lives in a variety of ways.
2: <laughs> Excuse me. That seems like a, a worthy goal.
1: Yeah, I think from the travel perspective, it's, it's overwhelming because there's so many YouTubers out there. But my, my partner's like, well, it's not actually really about the place, it's about them. So yes. when someone's got like 10,000 subscribers, like these like travel YouTubers, you've got, you've got 90. Yeah, the majority just like seeing you. And yeah, if, if they're watching travel and you're in Paris Beach behind me where I've got the picture of me in the camper van. Yeah, that's a bonus. And people would like to see maybe bits of that, but actually let's see you. And if I can encourage people to go to that place because it's really awesome in Oregon, then yeah. that's a win because they should, yeah. they should go and see it because bloody awesome.
0: Yeah, and I think that that I think that comes back to I mean, man, this is, I, this becomes its own complicated conversation for which I don't know that I have any answers. But I think, like, when it comes to comparing yourself to other people as well, or entering a crowded or like highly competitive field, I mean, YouTube is super crowded. Almost no matter what you're going to get yeah. into. Ultimately, the most important thing you can do is try to drill down to being exactly who you are, right? The only way you can ever actually be, this is, is, again, it it might, hopefully it doesn't sound cheesy to your listeners, but in reality, like the the stew of things that make you who you are is what's unique. Your preferences, the things you've experienced, the way that you see the world, all those things. A million people might travel to Paris. I mean, millions of people travel to Paris every year. And there are so few uh, ways of showing the Eiffel Tower in a new way, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, it is you, your reaction, your experience, your the way that you present it, all of it. As long as it's going through you, then it can be something special and unique. And so that would be also the push. To, like Part of it, going back to basics and understanding what other people have done before you is helping to develop that taste. So, you know, oh, well, I actually really like this kind of montage. And you know what? Time lapses are definitely my thing. I don't really like drones. I do like this, whatever. And eventually, as you're playing around and you figure it out, you create through what you love and what you don't like something that is truly unique. And the Mm. beauty of YouTube and the Internet at large is there are thousands of people, if not millions of people out there who would love to see the world through that lens.
2: Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, exactly that. It's, it's like that uniqueness
1: yeah yeah because it can't be matched because everyone's different no. so there is a there's a market there if you're willing to put a bit of effort and consistency in and enjoy it there's some, some yeah. fruits at the end of that
0: oh absolutely and i think i think that is that thing where you can't you don't want to fall into the get rich quick scheme side of things where you're like oh man i'm going to be famous blah 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 but i think if you can get down to the root of like why why am i doing this and do I enjoy it? You know, like you clearly enjoy what you're doing, and I think that getting into YouTube, you'll know very quickly. You you already do know, right? Like in what you're making, if you, as long as you enjoy it, um, then you can't lose either. Because mm. maybe maybe somebody listening enjoys making videos, but not so much that they would want to make a job of it. That's great. Now you know that, and now you make the videos when you feel like it, and you get the satisfaction out of it. If you enjoy it enough to do it all the time, um, and it's something that you think about all the time you want, you know, whatever, like whatever is driving you to do it, then again, no guarantee you'll ever make a living off of
1: it, but at least you'll have the endurance to put in a real effort. And it'll be fun. And it'll well. be fun. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think it helps for me that I'm a creative, you know, I've got, I've got a degree in music, but the thing is I quit music because I think travel took over as a story there, but I've done 10 years playing guitar up to the yeah. point where I was like really good and people say to you, but uh, how do I get better guitar? Just play it. Yep. But there's yep. no science. I, I, I was, And this is why you shouldn't compare yourself to someone like, I don't know, Michael Jordan in The Last Dance, whatever it's called. He's the best of all time. I mean, we all agree with that. Is he happy? I'm well, not sure. If you look at him in that interview, I mean, he's achieved a lot, but he's still got some anger in there, and he's still a bit angry. and still He's still kind of bitter, despite being yeah, a billionaire. Bitter. Yeah, bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't compare yourself, because on a much lower level for me, playing guitar, getting an audition, going to college, music college, guitar college, like, that was ten years of me in my bedroom just playing every night. And I'm not I'm not talking about picking up ten minutes. That's like two, three hours solid. So that comes yeah. back to the consistency and enjoy what you're doing. But I loved it. I love playing Hendrix and you know, all this sort of stuff. So yeah. So I guess you would agree with the main traits would be enjoy it, consistency, and I guess ultimately putting something out there. I guess they're probably three hours. You have to
0: two. show you. Yeah, that's that I would recommend the book show your work for that. Cause I think it is that thing of like you have to show what you're doing and you Like anything I I, when I was writing books, this was a problem that always came up with authors in particular, because they're another they're another step removed from wanting to be on camera. Right. That's why they're writing books. Yeah. yeah. And that tendency then means that they never actually show anyone their manuscript. They never Mm. give that to anyone because it's too precious and and it's hard. But the problem is that if you don't put it in the light, for one, um you're just robbing the world of whatever joy you've created, right? Like, yeah. that's the main thing. I think that you're always robbing the world if you're not going to give away whatever it is that you've been given to create. But the other side is that we all suck at the start, and there's no shame in it. Like, we <laughs> all are terrible. My first yeah. book was awful. Like, I I look at it now, and I'm just like, oh, like, I I cringe whenever. there. I'm very grateful that there are people that, like, I gave it to back in the day that I really enjoyed it and still tell me how much they enjoyed it, and I don't doubt them. But I'm just like, I look at it and I'm like, I need to crawl under something large and heavy. Um, You know, but the thing was that I, I, it can be so scary. It's so nice to live in your safe, warm fantasy of like, I am the best author ever. That's where I lived for a long time. And then, and this is a masterpiece. This is my masterpiece. And then I handed it off. And then the, the notes that I got back from the few people that were gracious enough not to just throw it in a fire proved to me that I was not a master. And the cool thing was that I kept going because I love doing it. I love telling stories and I love writing. So I kept writing because I was dedicated to it and I couldn't stop and I can't stop. I have to do it. But it is terrifying to create, to start something new and to do it in public. And so I think more power to you for getting started on a new venture on YouTube, but like for anybody listening that, like that just wants to get started. Yeah, that is it. You just have to do it. There's no Mm -hmm. other way if you want. And I mean, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to be out doing something like YouTube, like there is no other way to do it. You have to put it out there. Yeah, so. yeah exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of my guitar teachers said that there's millions of people who are world class players in their bedroom. Like, uh, uh, that's a fair point. <laughs>
2: that's uh, a very put,
1: good way of putting put it. Put them on stage. Are they world class? Then it's like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you well, do I just started playing piano. So like, oh, I literally... it's literally, dream. It's my future goal. Yeah.
0: Well, I just, yeah. I literally today was the first time I looked up a lesson. On YouTube, because okay. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a local teacher because I really want to actually yeah. learn. But, um, but I just started doing it and I was like, okay, starting to get this little rhythm. And I was like, I better film a little bit just so I have it for later. Yeah, yeah, yeah And I yeah. turned the camera on and immediately I was worse and I couldn't. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I was like, and I just like leaned over to look at the camera and I was like, I swear I was a little bit better than this at least before I turned on the camera. Like I, you know, <laughs> and. The reality is that like you're saying, like you just have to put yourself out there and same with learning a language. Like you were saying, you, you got to go mm. to a country and yourself for three months and have no fear of making mistakes. Yeah. Because we all make mistakes. Even as adults, if you like who've been speaking English our entire lives, if your listeners went back, they could pick out a variety of grammatical errors and random. I think I said then when I meant this or something earlier, you know, like there's a, we, we you still make mistakes no matter what, like, you just gotta like let yourself go and and enjoy the ride.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, to scout there. I think that's a that kind of that conversation answered a lot of my YouTube questions actually. Um, Perfect. Yeah, so I think we'll just uh, crack on to the end bit, which is just where people can find you. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, the, the
0: easiest and fastest would be go to YouTube and look Jay Swanson, J A Y Swanson. I saw somebody type it in just Jay Swanson once with a letter, and I was like, oh.
1: Oh, no, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, uh,
0: Jay Swanson, um, and yeah, from YouTube, you can find me obviously on my website. Anyway, just Google me; you'll find it. You'll find. It.
1: I'll put some links in the show notes for people. With... Okay, sounds great. If, was that that's a if, terrible if, pitch? If they if they're, if they're lazy, they click on links. Fine.
0: Exactly. <laughs> or go to pairsinmypocket and use I think it. What was the was it winging it wing it fifteen? 15 for,
1: yeah. yeah, winging it fifteen for fifteen percent off. Yeah, there you go. So get buying. Okay. Yeah. That pretty much sums up all the questions I have at the end so we're going to finish the podcast i have some quick travel questions this is a bit of a fun feature i do at the end okay awesome. and these these are your favorite things in the world that you see so it's travel question time you are going to answer the first one's going to be three favorite countries you travel to that's oh gosh three favorite uh, countries that i mean france to is that going to be an obvious one <laughs> Uh, okay, th- th- the non-obvious ones. I gave <laughs> yeah. you a
0: couple. Of good. I like uh, South Africa is really high up there. Yeah, um, I had a great time in Finland seeing the Northern Lights. Oh, dream. Yeah. I actually, took Cooper, my dog, so I have photos of him under the under the Northern Lights. That's pretty cool. South Africa, so that's the opposite poles basically, and then somewhere in the middle, let's say Taiwan. I had a really, no India. Actually, I could go back to India any day of the week. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love I love it. Yeah, so let's do that. India, India, Finland, and South South Africa. That hits three continents and and that's most it, of the
1: most latitudes. Okay, and what about three countries you've not traveled to that would be next on your hit list? Japan. I was
0: supposed to go, but COVID shut us down on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole story. But thankfully, did not get stuck in Japan. So I have not been to Japan yet. I would really love to go. Um, I have not been I, a lot of places in Asia. Honestly, like uh, I've never been to. Uh, Thailand and I would I for every time it comes up it's like that looks really really nice. I would really like to go there. And then Madagascar. I'm hoping to go to Madagascar uh, next year. And it just looks also incredible and I can't wait to go.
1: Yeah a lot of uh, stuff on internet in a minute about Madagascar. I think it's upcoming. I think a lot of people are gonna go there. It's um, it's uh okay. it's cool. What about three favorite cuisines on your travels?
0: Three favorite cuisines from my travels. I I realize that they're well i'm not gonna uh, i feel like this is dangerous <laughs> okay i'll say that like just in general like in india like the i, I could be a vegetarian in india because the food is yeah. so good yeah and everybody made me eat meat because they were like hey you'll eat meat," and then they just made me like they're like whatever like dish they were gonna They're like yeah but the white went, <laughs> you know so i was like oh man so it was always very very good and i always loved it but i time i could get a vegetarian meal i was always blown away panipuri so good oh man if you know panipuri
2: mm-hmm. the yeah, yeah.
0: soup crispy soup dumplings yeah. whoever oh. thought that could be a thing Ah, oh, so good um so maybe i should have just said panipuri is like is that was a great discovery the last time i was in uh, mumbai but then from there um this is going to be a weird one but i really love west african lebanese shawarmas so there's always the oh, okay. Lebanese vendors in yeah. like every That's country it. I ever lived in in West Africa. And yeah. the shawarmas there are just different. Like they use like chicken off of a, I don't know, like off of a kebab or something. But it's not like not the shaved chicken, but like mm. a proper chicken breast. And the garlic aioli was always so good. I don't know. it's just something about it that like it's hard to replicate. Um,
2: and then Percy Pigs.
1: <laughs> Accepted. <laughs> 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 They're vegan, aren't The vegan are not they
2: technically uh, i believe they
1: are yeah yeah there you go you hit the vegan market there okay and what about if you could sit in one city in the world drink coffee and watch the world go by that's not paris where are you gonna sit um maybe copenhagen oh yeah friendly they've got a really good coffee scene um it's much less
0: hectic they've got it's like it's a nice warm cozy vibe without being as cold as some nordic places and also
1: i don't know
2: just a, a, a nice aesthetic
1: okay um, any country that you didn't like
2: question. I, I was about I know I was about to
0: make a joke at Canada's expense after all the risks <laughs> I took talking about Canada earlier. Um, but I love Canada. I'm not gonna say that. Um any country I didn't like, well, I don't know, nothing's coming to mind.
1: Um, or specific place, maybe.
0: I've definitely had, I mean, I crashed my motorcycle about five times in Benin, but that's not Benin's fault. No, um, <laughs> that's
1: definitely not their fault, no.
0: So that was rough, and I, I definitely suffered many injuries and um, had great stories, but that was brutal. Um, any place, well, okay, I will say this. I struggled the most, and if you read my book, Sea of the Unknown, if you want to read that whole story about how I got to Paris, um, Springfield, Illinois, and I weren't meant to be together. I recognize that it has Abe Lincoln's presidential library and about 30 Abe Lincoln impersonators, um, which probably puts it pretty high on someone's list. But I really struggled uh, spending as much time as I did there. And I met some wonderful people, which is why I struggle to say. But at the same time, if there was one place in the world that I would honestly hope to never go back to for longer than a few hours, uh, probably Springfield, Illinois.
1: Okay, I accept that one.
0: What about favorite beach? Favorite beach? Oh, Burry Beach. Um, not one that anybody can get to very easily, though. So um, and definitely not the beach at Nice. Um, but I was just in Anglet. Uh, if you've been to Basque Country, um oh, the okay. Beeritz ba- yeah. Bayet Bayonne trio. And I actually had a place I, I was very kind to myself like six or nine months ago, and I was like, I have to book a vacation or I won't take one. So mm-hmm. I found this like rare. Gem of a find that's never free, kind of a thing, and booked a not too expensive vacation in Anglet, and I just literally would walk up to the window, and it was ocean, uh, oh, dream. and incredible, and it's the Atlantic, so it's huge waves, and it was just amazing. So if you Basque country, it's, it's a wonderful part of both France and Spain. I absolutely love it.
1: Interesting goes into my next question quite nicely. Is pub in Paris? Three places in France that you'd recommend people to visit?
0: Oh, well, Basque country is way up there. Obviously, um, people are lovely, and it's just oh, the food is good, and they've got some great beer. Lille, if we're talking about beer as well and food as well, ah. uh, Lille, Lille, Lille is a sleeper. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't skip it if you get the chance. Um, and then Marseille is probably my favorite. Um, ah, I love Marseille I so much. It's very close to nature, which I'm not as big of a nature boy as you would expect from the northwest, um, but uh, the national parks there are incredible. The people are really friendly. The influx of Parisians has actually been mostly, I think, at least maybe as a Parisian, a benefit. There's so much fun and interesting stuff happening, mm-hmm. lots of art, and it's not. It's I. It's it's still so well connected to the rest of the country and Europe. I just I really love Marseille.
1: Okay, and to finish, a final few words of maybe a bit of wisdom about why someone should travel. As a travel podcast, of course. But also you can maybe put in there, you know, a bit of like recording your travels or like, you know, why should someone like record? Maybe could they write it down or they could do YouTube or do a podcast? Like, why should they do both?
0: Yeah, I think travel for me was always I wanted to I wanted to see the world a lot, largely because I felt like I grew up in such a small part of it. And I knew that there were ways of seeing the world, ways of living just kind of ways of being that were different and that had to, had to have something to offer and I think there's such a great gift in traveling to meet new people to be challenged and to see that like you have more in common with everyone than you don't
2: mm. um,
0: so I don't know if that that necessarily counts but for me there was a huge appeal in trying to go out and learn and confront myself in that and I think the best part about like recording it I'm somebody that's only really learned how to go back and look at stuff that I've recorded recently. I'm somebody who records it and chucks it and then keeps moving. Um, But once you get to a place where you can handle looking at your journal entries or your photos, your videos, whatever it is you took, there's something really amazing about going back. Like on Patreon right now, we're actually releasing vlogs that I filmed in 2015 on a different channel that nobody's seen, right? They've only got like 30 views, you know? And It's actually, I I didn't want to see it. Like, I I pitched it as being a cringe fest. I was like, get ready for the cringe fest. But then when I actually went back and watched a couple of them, even though they're not good or easy to watch or whatever, in so many ways, I'm so grateful for them because they captured that time in Springfield, Illinois. Mm. Or they captured that time that I was struggling, you know, to move to France or this or that or whatever. My time in Taiwan, you know. And you get to see much you've grown the only way that you can ever see how much you've grown is to measure yourself against your past and the only way to measure yourself against your past is to have made measurements along the way and so i think recording yourself your thoughts your impressions all of that even if you don't record exactly what you were thinking when you go back and you look at it you will know you know you'll remember oh yeah
2: Mm -hmm. i thought
0: that that was a terrible dish and now it's one of my favorites (laughs) oh yeah i didn't speak that language and now i do so there's something really beautiful about that and seeing how much you've grown. And I think it's an act of self-love at that point to, to recognize like, ah, oh, I'm
1: doing okay. Yeah. That's a great way to finish. Doing okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, Jay, it's been a okay. great
1: chat. We covered a lot of ground, a uh, bit of traveling there, a bit of Paris, a bit of YouTube, a bit of, cool. we delved into a bit of politics at the start. So, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so briefly. whoever we didn't polarize yeah. out,
0: yeah. they're yeah. still with us at the end. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So thanks for coming on and making time been great fun and thank you chat. so much for having me i really appreciate it thank you jay thank you yeah happy travels thank you for listening to my winging it travel podcast episode today you can find me on instagram at james hammond travel or winging it travel podcast you can search for both i release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.